Somebody get a doctor. I need a shot of medicine, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bad Medicine Podcast number 14. That's lucky number 14 if you're in uh, Botswana. So I'd like to welcome our very special guest. You probably know him as the owner of Heroes Sports Page. I heard he does a couple of other things too, but that's the main deal. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Hero. Hey, fellas. How goes it today? Oh, just fantastic. I was telling these guys that uh, I remembered, you know, back in the day, uh, waking up on Saturday mornings and seeing the ads for your store. And then like years later, I met you when you were running shows and everything. I'm like, hey, you're the guy from the show. as uh, kind of funny. And that commercial, you know, back then, before there was you know, Facebook and MySpace and everything else, everything, if you're going to advertise, it had to be on television. And I spent $700 on that commercial, which I thought was a lot of money at the time. It still is a lot of money. And the first time that commercial aired, I was still at my store, and uh, the phone rang off the hook. And then after that, like the first week or two weeks, it was like almost $1,500 to $2,000 a day in sales. So it's like the power of TV is crazy. And, uh, you know, for me, at the time with your sports page, I was buying direct from WCW and WWF. So I was the only guy in the country working with both companies that close in the late 90s. And it, it, at that time, it was, a, it was a license to print money. It was awesome. So, yeah, that, that commercial was, was uh, pretty crazy. So you just said you were working pretty close with uh, WWF at the time and WCW. Like, how did that come about for you? How did that opportunity arise for you? So I want to say it was 97, and America Online was just hitting. And I was instant messaging back and forth with Dallas Page's wife, Kimberly. And her screen name was WCW Kim 10, which was appropriate for her. And, um, <laughs> you know, she was super cool. I said I wanted to bring some wrestlers into my store because I had already done the Packers. I had William Henderson, Gilbert Brown. I paid 10 grand for Don Beebe for three hours back in 97. <laughs> Had a blizzard that day. Legit shoot lost my ass on the whole thing because nobody came out in the snowstorm. I'm like, I'm going to switch it up and bring in some wrestlers. And she says, hey, contact Dennis Brent with WCW. So I contacted Dennis. He put me in charge with, um, I want to say it was Zane Bresloff out of Denver. And they said, hey, if you can bring in a radio station to do a live remote, we can bring um, the talent into your store for free. And I'm like, sweet, I'm already on ESPN Milwaukee. So I called them up. They said, yeah, we'll do the remote for you for 200 bucks, which I thought was stupid cheap. Oh. And um, I contacted back to WCW. I said, okay, I got the remote. They're like, well, what else do you want? I go, what do you mean? Like, you want tickets? You want merch? So I put in this wish list. They gave me like seven grand worth of tickets. You know, Jesus. I had a whole section. They gave me like 60 other tickets just to give away to people that came in the store. Um, then I started buying merchandise from them directly. I think I was at the time I was paying two twenty five for an NWO t shirt. I was buying it from at their cost. I mean, they weren't even marking nothing up for me, you know. 
So then they said, hey, they're like, you know, who do you want to come into your store? We can get you either the Steiner Brothers or Rey Mysterio. And I wanted Rey Mysterio, but where the store was located was a predominantly white upper middle class area. I'm like, ah, Ray would be great, but not going to work. So I go up to Steiner's. A few days before, they go, hey, the Steiner's can't do it. We can send you Dallas Page. And I'm like, you know what? That's perfect because of his wife. I got this opportunity. Like, sweet. I'll take Dallas Page. Well, they were coming to Milwaukee on a Tuesday. And that Monday night before, um, he had laid out Scott Hall and Kevin Nash with diamond cutters. So he now becomes the number one baby just, face in the company. Perfect. Just time. on fire. Yeah. Because he was, oh, I mean, a lot of people, not so much recently because of what DDP has been doing with yoga and helping so many people. But there was a time there, like when he had his WWF run, where people were kind of looking at him as like a joke almost. And I'm like, you guys have amnesia? Because I remember watching WCW and this guy was friggin' over as over it could be, you know? was an on-fire baby face. And the next day he came into my store, he was so cool. We had like, I want to say 500 people show up at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon to meet DDP, which is a big number. You know, oh, people are still for Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, he was so great. Him and I, you know, he, he was the first guy to ever put his name on me. You know, and he didn't have to. He was super cool. We've been friends ever since then. And uh, it just worked out great. And I'm like, well, this is awesome. I go, that worked great. So I contacted WWF. And I said, hey, I go, I go, here's what I did with WCW. I would love to do the same thing with you. And they says, well, you have to clear it with the local promoter. They go, here's his name and number. And the name is Jack Koshik, who is my legit second cousin. And I had no <laughs> idea he was the local promoter. <laughs> <laughs> so we worked it out. All I had to do was take out an ad in the Milwaukee Journal uh, newspaper saying that the Road Warriors and WWF were coming to town and that they'd be signing autographs, you know, at my store, you know, on, on that Saturday or that, that Sunday. They show up. The week of, they said, hey, we want to do a press conference in your store. Can we get who – who do you think you could get the media for, Steve Austin or for Vader? Now, at the time, Austin was now just starting to become a big deal, you know? And again, I wanted Austin, but I knew Vader had just beat up that reporter in Kuwait. So so I had ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox Milwaukee all in my store for a press conference for Vader, you know? So I would have rather have had Austin, but hey, I still got four TV stations covering this thing at my store for free, you know? Worked out great. Road Warriors show up, the place was packed. I want to say 1,500 people out the door, down the block, waiting to meet, because it was a free autograph signing. You know, I wasn't charging anything for it because we got the town for free. So the WWF executive, um, uh, his name was Mike Ivanko. He comes into my store, and he sees a whole wall of WCW T-shirts. Sting, Hollywood Hogan, Four Horsemen, NWO. You know, he's like, what's the deal with all this? I'm like, well, they sell direct to me. He's like, well, why don't we? I go, no one's gotten back to me yet. He's like, well, the next time I come to town, I want to see at least 50% our stuff here. I'm like, okay, awesome. So Road Warriors leave, the signing's done, went to the show. Uh, Monday goes by, Tuesday morning, I get to the store, 
FedEx pulls up, drops off the biggest box I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I didn't order anything. I didn't know what it was. Open it up. There was a letter from Mike saying, first order is on me. Here's who you got to contact, and we'll be shipping directly to you. They sent me at least, I want to say, 300 T-shirts. Jesus. Thompson 316, DX, China, Sunny, LOD. So I'm like, this is fantastic. So then it worked out that every time WCW or WWF came to town, they would always do an on-sale event at my store. It got to the point where WCW wanted to give me a Ticketmaster location. I'm like, no way. I don't want to do it. And they're like, well, why not? I go, because I'm never on time. I go, I don't want to get here late on an on-sale, and then people are pissed and don't get their tickets. I go, I don't want that responsibility. But, yeah, every time they came to town, I mean, it was a given that the place would be packed, and, and the boys would stop in just to check it out, you know, because that was before everyone got all weird about everything. And I would do private signings. Like, it'd be nothing for me. I'd get, like, 1,500 8x10s printed up. I'd go by Matt and Jeff Hardy. I'd say, hey, man, I got 300 8x10s. I'll give you, I'll give you $600 each if, if you guys both. So two bucks a person, you know? Yeah. And they would. They would sign it, you know? And the same thing with Mick Foley and Valve. So, like, I had a huge inventory, but I never got – I always paid for the stuff, you know? And for them back then, they didn't have guaranteed contracts. So if they could leave with an extra six, seven, eight hundred bucks, that covered their hotel, you know? It covered their rental car, and it covered oh, a few huge. So it was great for them. It was great for me. Back then, I think I was averaging like ten grand a month on eBay because, like, it was wrestling autographs. It was hot. Nobody else had the inventory that I had because the boys would send me their promo pictures. As soon as they'd get them, I'd get them duplicated, and I'd get their promo signed right away. So it was an amazing from late ninety from late ninety six ninety seven to two thousand two thousand one was fantastic. The last signing I had at my store was The Rock. Um, Paid him thirty five hundred bucks directly. Him and I went back and forth. We negotiated the deal together. <laughs> he came in, and I mean, we did like a thousand people at thirty bucks a crack. I'm like, I can't top this. And at the time, Walmart, Kmart, Target's now selling wrestling merch. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I see the writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm gonna leave before I have to leave. So as soon as the rock signing was done, I think three months later. I just closed up because I knew what was going to happen, and it did. I mean, Target, all the big box stores, they weren't selling the same stuff that I was, but if a parent you know, had to buy two or three shirts, they're not going to pay 20 bucks by me if they can get them for you know, 25 bucks for all three or four of them at Kmart or Target. So, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. It was a great time. Um, who knew that how crazy it was going to be? I mean, timing for me was everything. And it all just worked out, and I got—I made some really good friends through that store. A lot of the guys I still talk to, and uh, yeah, my my uh, my son's like, man, he goes, why don't you reopen it again? I go because that <laughs> time was magic, you know. Yeah, no, for man, sure. Five hundred bucks right now. I, I couldn't get Charlotte Flair for thirty-five hundred dollars right now. 
<laughs> well, and that's you know a thing that I think people need to understand is that when you were doing this, like you said, starting off 96, 97, it was a very different time as far as even wrestlers being able to communicate with the fans. It wasn't anything like it is now where, you know, you can go online and you see the, their last six, seven, you know, Twitter posts in, in an hour and a half. You know, so it's a very different time. And stores like yours were the only way that fans could have that interaction. So like you said, it was completely lightning in a bottle for that time. And I got to give you a hell of a lot of credit for kind of seeing the future coming and getting out while the getting's good and not being like, oh, maybe I can ride this out. Next thing you know, you're bleeding cash and it's, you know, not the road you want to go down. So that's, I, I, I just think it's a great story of how, where you were for me, it was local. So it was kind of neat that way. And just to hear the stories of how everything got started. is just incredible. Uh, again, timing was, I've been very blessed. I've been very fortunate. You know, I would, I'd almost say I'm lucky more than blessed because everything worked out, but I mean, it, it was a license to print money. And when, when the guys were so cool back then where, you know, for them, it was new for them also all this new fame. So they were cool with everything and they, you know, and, and they all looked out for each other. I'm not saying they don't do that today, but now when they got guaranteed contracts and, you know, when when they're getting huge money to do Comic Cons, you know, it's it's not the same playing field anymore. Yeah, it is very different. And and like you said, you mentioned the guaranteed contracts and things like that. I mean, the the whole business uh, as it's as a whole has just kind of evolved into almost I hate to use the term more professional, but it, it really kind of is. Where I mean, you're talking ninety six, ninety seven. That's when everything just completely exploded with the NWO and and DX and Vince McMahon being the big heel and Steve Austin. I mean, wrestling just completely caught back on fire again. And for those guys, it had to be just insane, like you said, with all the newfound fame and popularity. That they, I mean, the ratings they were getting. I mean, I don't remember exactly, but I mean, if I'm misquoting here, but I think they were getting like. 12, 14s for Monday Night Raw and Nitro? I don't know if you guys know if that's right or not. Yeah, but. it was pretty close. Well, like what I saw at one point, it was like Raw was getting like an 8, and Nitro was getting a 7, and then like the NBA playoffs was getting a 1. You know, yeah. like that's how big it was. And it like was I remember cool. when those big box stores did get those shirts, how cheaply made they were. So that's why, yeah, you could get 3 for 20 bucks, <laughs> yeah, but they only but they only lasted like they would start cracking like the first day you wore them. <laughs> <laughs> all right so dave if, if so then you uh you did the store you shut that down we're doing our transitions here just fantastic but no so you so you saw the writing on the wall you uh you shut the store down um what was kind of the next um next business you went into or the next direction you went with everything i got married and that was a that was an abysmal disaster you know always is <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I mean, I got a great kid out of the whole deal, so you know, it wasn't that much of a train wreck. But you know, I mean, um, I when I when I left the store, I, I you know, because when I had the store, I was also doing Great Lakes Championship Wrestling. You know, so when I shut that down, I, I shut wrestling down because you know, most of you guys know, wrestling and marriage does not usually work out. You know, it, it's not a good it's, it's not a good situation if you want a successful marriage. So I stopped doing both, and then slowly, you know, we all try to leave, but we never do, you know. And um, I got the opportunity to do um, the event for the Crusher after the Crusher died, you know. 
And uh, so I was contacted again by Cousin Jack, who helped me <laughs> my foot in the door with everybody. So I owe him because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have had the su- success that I had. Because by him, you know, because he would take me on the road with him to the live events. So that's how I really got to meet a bunch of the guys and hang out with them, um, you know, and, and we got to know each other. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing the whole corporate world. I'm doing real estate and insurance. And um, I get the phone call. They're like, you know, the crusher had just died. I mean, just died. And I'm, I'm having a, a phone call conversation with Clear Channel Radio. And we're doing, they want to do an event for the crusher, a crusher tribute. They wanted to call it uh, the Brew Bash Bolo Bruja. And the, the, the idea was there was going to be a tribute for the crusher and uh, the money was going to go be put into a scholarship fund, like for one of the crusher's grandkids or something like that. I go on the meeting. Uh, the radio station wants to pay for everything. I'm like, that's fantastic. Cause I didn't want to put my money into it. And um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is, this works. This is good. I go, Hey, I go, but crusher's family's on board. Right. I mean the bot. And, and, and I, I said this to me and go, the body's not even cold yet. He just died two weeks ago. I go and the crusher's family's cool. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. They think it's a great idea. This is my cousin Jack and I love him to death. Oh boy. Okay? <laughs> so, um, I leave the meeting. I feel good about it. I go home. I tell my wife, I'm like, Hey, we're doing this thing for the crusher. I knew she'd be cool because her dad was a huge crusher. fan, So I wouldn't get a whole lot of heat for it. You know, <laughs> so I'm putting the show together. I get the building, you know, we're at the old Ramada by the airport. Um, I contact Jerry Lawler. Um, I contact Dallas page. I got King Kong Bundy, I believe, was on the first one. Um, Mad Dog Machine. So I'm like putting up my own money because the radio station's going to pay me back for all this stuff. Get everything put together and get the posters up. We, we, we're all ready to start up with like the radio and TV ads like a week from, from now. So, so we had just finished putting up all the posters out in the area, the hotels, the local you know businesses and whatnot. I get a phone call from the radio station and um, – they're like, hey, we need to pull the plug on the show. And I go, well, why is that? They go, well, the Crusher's daughter just called, and they never gave, saying that she never gave permission to use her father's name and or likeness on this show. Oh, wow. And wow. Clear Channel has a lot of money to lose because, you know, I mean, if they wanted to sue him, there's a lot of, there's a lot of exposure. Oh, yeah. So I looked at Cousin Jack, and I just hung up the phone, and I says, uh, we need to talk. I said, I'm already like $5,000 into this show. I go, the radio station pulled the plug, and uh, I didn't like the answers he gave me. So I called the crusher's daughter, and I said, "Um, Dawn, I said, you've known me for a long time. I had no idea you guys weren't on board. I I was told that your brother was. I go, apparently you're not. I go, I can't now tell my wife I'm going to lose five or six grand on this show. I go, and besides that, my name is on the line with all these other people. I said, I need to do this show. I go, I promise I will not use your dad's name and or likeness. I said, but uh, just let me go forward with it. I go, I won't mention your dad at all. So she said, that's fine. I contacted the radio station the next day. I said, hey, I, I asked you guys how many times was the crushers family on board? You all said yes. I go, I'm willing to still go through and do this show. I said, but I need your help. I go, I need you guys to, you know, I'm, you don't got to give me money, but give me advertising. 
so he got up, he left, talked to his boss, came back. And um, I, I don't think I've ever told the exact number, but he says, hey, we'll give you $15,000 advertising across all of our clustering stations. I'm thinking, if I can't draw a number, a house, with fifteen grand on some of the biggest radio stations in Milwaukee, I go, I'm doomed. I'm like, yeah. sweet, I'll do it. <laughs> so I went, I got the rest of the money myself, put it all together. I'm like, you know what? I need to go find a charity to get involved, you know? And, and um, the only charity that was interested was called Variety Children's Charities. And I, and I had already rebranded the show from Bolo Bruja to Seasons Beatings because I figured, what a great wrestling name. Yeah. Well, except for this, Variety Children's Charities is a charity for battered women and children. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guess what happens? It's called rebranding now for the third time because I cannot call that event Seasons Beatings. You know what no, I mean? I, I can, uh, they might have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. A little on the nose, don't you think? <laughs> well, Rich Finky and I did a show called Blizzard Brawl when we were doing GLCW together. I'm like, I'll just call it Blizzard Brawl. I'm like, what else could go wrong? I mean, you know, everything that could have gone wrong has, except for the night before the show, we got a shoot blizzard that dropped a foot of snow on Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, I'm done. I go, no one's going to come because everyone has to now dig out of all this nonsense. Well, man, everything worked out. I called in some favors from some other uh, TV guys like Lance Allen and, and, and whatnot, and the show went off. It was great. Jerry Lawler couldn't make it because he had court, so I had to bring in uh, Buff Bagwell instead to wrestle Dallas Page, and they both had legit heat because of what happened in WCW with Kimberly, which I thought was squashed, but it really wasn't. So, Phenomenal. But overall, the show was great. We had a packed house. I think I broke even on it, and then I went home. I'm like, I'm done. I'm so I'm done. Out of here. <laughs> And then two or three months later, the radio station called. They're like, hey, we love the event. Let's do it again this year. Oh, I bet you'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> I, of course, I thought about it. I put up, I'm like, you know, I go, if I have time to plan, get sponsors and everything else built into it, I'm like, why not? So, I mean, Blizzard Brawl was, was supposed to not even be that. It wasn't supposed to be anything. It's supposed to be a one-off show for the Crusher. And now it, it grew into something that I never thought it would grow into, you know. And, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was just amazing. So, once again, timing and luck was everything. <laughs> that doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't build up to what it built up to, you know, going from, you know, that airport hotel to then the Waukesha County Expo Center to then housing NWO versus DX to having a Piper's Pit to having the first-time demolition teams with, you know, Road Warrior Animal. And then just going on from there, you know, so uh, it just all worked out great. I mean, it worked out way better than my marriage ever did. Hey, there's no shame in tapping out. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, no, why not? So, but yeah, well, I, I mean, again, the... oh, has been everything. no, no, it's just, you know, for me, timing's been everything. And I've been, I've been very lucky and, and I've been very blessed. Yeah, and I think the the great thing with the Blizzard Brawl from, you know, like from my standpoint is, um, you know, short of a couple of shows that I did up in Minneapolis for Eddie Sharkey and some of the guys he had hooked up with, um, your shows consistently brought in 
the most and the biggest names and gave us young indie scum uh, a chance to work with guys who are legends and hall of famers and things like that. I mean, I'm, I mean, I remember as a kid watching wrestling, I was frigging terrified of King Kong Bundy and you were, you know, uh, generous enough to put me in a match against them, you know, and it's just, it was just crazy and kind of surreal. And I think there's a lot of guys who, um, kind of owe you a lot in that, in, in giving guys opportunity, giving them exposure, getting to work with, you know, guys they maybe looked up to growing up and that sort of thing. So I think that's, you know, a, a big thank you, uh, you know, should be out there for you on that for sure. Uh, I appreciate it. I mean, you were a great pick for Bunny because you were, you were one of the few guys that was legitimately over, over six feet tall. You know, I'm like, it's <laughs> going to be a perfect matchup because it's two big guys. And that's what, at the end of the day, you know, fans love the flips and the dives and, the, and all the other nonsense. But at the end of the day, they want to see big dudes fight, you know, and that's a, and that's what you and Bundy did. It was two big guys fighting. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and he couldn't have been, uh, you know, easier to work with, obviously. You know, a guy was excellent, you know, and I don't know, it's funny. I, you hear a lot of stuff on the internet, and, and not just Bundy here, but about different wrestlers in particular, and you would obviously know more uh, than most having dealt with them, but you know, like the guys that I've met, you know, met with and, and, and worked with and just seen it shows, whether it be everybody from, you know, Bundy to a Kevin Nash to whoever, you know, a young AJ Styles, whatever, Christopher Daniels, I've never met a wrestler who was a jerk ever. And maybe I'm just lucky that way, but every single one I met has been a professional and has treated everybody with respect and it's been nothing but a great experience. So I don't know where these guys come up with this heat on, you know, wrestlers back and forth. Maybe it's personal things, whatever. But um, from you know personal standpoint, I've never seen it, and maybe you could speak to that as well. You know, every now and then, you know, these guys get spoiled and they become assholes, and and they do. I mean, I've seen some of the worst in some of these guys. Yeah. But I they're also being a promoter, you see it differently yeah. than just a wrestler. You know, they're also put in, you know, sometimes they're put in situations where they have to be, where they know, hey, we might not be getting paid all of our money because the house is down. So now they got, now they have to go into a different mode, you know, and, it, and it's a survival mode. But, you know, some of the, I mean, for, for me, there's just some guys that I, I'll never book, like Sid. He's burned so many promoters. I'm not taking the chance on bringing him in. You know, there's no way. You know, why would I? You know? So, and there's others, and I don't want to name them because, you know, it doesn't make a difference. If if I don't book them, there's a reason for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just certain guys that I don't I I don't want to deal with. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, since you were just talking about King Kong Bundy, uh, like he just passed away, but also I wanted to ask you about your relationship with me and Gene Okerlund, and you know how much of a relationship you two developed because you think of the best, like you know, interviewers in history, and me and Gene is right up there. So I wanted to. Hear what you had to say about him and how your relationship all was. You know, Gene and I hit it off, I want to say, back when he was with Nitro with WCW. And, uh, you know, we were acquaintances, you know, um, or as he would call certain people, associates. And it wasn't until, I want to say, maybe eight, nine years ago when we started doing more bookings and stuff together, we spent a lot of time together. And just his sense of humor is just, it was fantastic. I mean, he was the pervy old guy that got away with everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> the stuff he would say would get, anyone else would get slapped. Him, he got a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Oh, right? God, you yes. know? And I'm just like, God, Gina, going, you get away with everything. And um, 
he was just so gracious. I mean, we would go out. You would never want to try to outdrink him because you can't. Okay, we would go out and legitimately he would have ten vodkas. It was always kettle one chilled with an olive in it. So basically, it's vodka in a cup is what he would drink. Okay, <laughs> it's watching he'd have like three or four Chardonnays, you know. And I'm like, Gene, you've had two kidney transplants. Don't you think you've done enough? You know, <laughs> he was just—he was so great. He was—he was just fantastic. I mean, some of this, and like, he got so we, we were doing like C two E two, the big Chicago Comic Con together. Yeah. And um, you know, the, sometimes the fans come unwashed. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, your, fans know. It's it just brutal. So this one guy comes up. He's so happy to, to meet Gene. I mean, he dropped like a hundred bucks. I'm going to say photo ops, autographs, the whole thing. And Gene goes, you know what? You know what would what, what make this better the next time I see you? And the fans like excited, like, oh, what would that be? He goes, brush your teeth, you know? <laughs> was like, oh my God, you don't know what to do, you know? And then uh, there's another time. It was this, it was a, it was, we were at a show. And this guy was saying, hey, Eugene, I don't know if you remember me. Um, I did this tryout or this camp, whatever it was. I'm trying to get hired. He's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, how have you been? And, of course, the fan's guard is now way down. He's like, you know what? He goes, I was actually, you know, at Titan Towers. And he goes, and you're not going to believe who was asking me about you. Now, this guy, <laughs> he is, like, feeling good, right? Like, you can tell. He's like, oh, my God, who, who? He goes, Absolutely no one. <laughs> uh, so I mean, he just kind of, and people would just laugh because it's mean Gene. It's like, you know, he's, he's, he's your childhood and he's, you know, this older gentleman that you have, you can't help but love and respect. Yeah, you so, just I mean, got him, burned by a legend. Yeah. Him and I, I mean, we have done shenanigans parties, wrestle cons, wrestling conventions, comic cons. You name it, we've you know we've done we've done strip clubs, we've done you name it, G and I have. Who <laughs> um, was one of my you know? For me, I would like to say you know, um, my mentors were Gene Okerlund, Kevin Nash, and of course Al Snow. You know, that's like my trilogy. So um, when Gene had passed, you know, I tried contacting him around Christmas time, and he wasn't answering, and. There were many a times he would call me up. He's like, David? And I go, yes, Gene. He goes, I fucked up my phone. He goes, can you reset my Facebook? So I knew he was doing stuff he shouldn't have been doing, you know? <laughs> I had all the, the accesses. I had all, the, all of his passwords for all of his social media and his Facebook. This has happened often, you know? He'd be like, hey, can you change my profile picture? Can you delete this? Can you do that? I'm like, yes. So I figured out, oh, well, maybe he messed up his phone. I didn't hear from him during Christmas, which was odd. And then um, it was, you know, right after New Year's, I woke up and my phone is blowing up. I'm like, what the hell is going on here, you know? And then all, I'm getting all these text messages, hey, I'm so sorry for your loss. And now I'm confused. And all of a sudden, I, one message said, hey, I'm really sorry to hear about Gene. And I'm like, impossible. You know, I mean, this guy's never going to die. I've been out with him so many times. You know, he's bulletproof. And I immediately called his wife, Jeannie, because he didn't answer his phone. And she told me that he had passed. And, uh, you know, we I don't know. I mean, I've lost all my grandparents. And I, didn't, I have not felt that pain in a long time. 
because him and I were that close. So, um, you know, he had fallen and he wasn't doing well. And um, he was actually in a nursing home like for the last three months, for the last three weeks of December. And I didn't know. And I was upset he didn't let me know because, you know, we had we had we had stuff planned. And and she's like, Dave, she's like, you know, he was embarrassed and he's Gene Okerlund, you know, and uh, he had broken his femur. And, and I, I don't even think that this has even been out before. So uh, he broke his femur and the hospital, um, the doctors didn't see it. They didn't know that, it, that it, his, his leg was broken. Hmm. So he died from infection from the broken bone, you know, besides the fact that he wanted he didn't just have two kidney trans. He's had three in his life. You know, one didn't work. So um, I went down, you know, I went down to the funeral and Damien, because, you know, Gene did a lot for us with the pro wrestling report. I mean, he put his name on us. You know, he came on the show, everything. He did everything with us. So Damien is now living in China, flew in from China for the funeral. I met him down there. We went to the funeral and um, Hulk Hogan wasn't there. Ric Flair wasn't there. Vince McMahon wasn't there. And it was frustrating because I saw these people on TV saying how much they love him and best friends and everything. And uh, I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a member of Gene's family. They're like, huh. So Damien can fly 3,000 miles from China, but Hulk can't drive 90 miles, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just like, I get it. Maybe some people don't deal with it the same way. So, but... I'm sitting there, you know, we do the church thing. We go to the to his favorite bar restaurant and I could tell it was his favorite place because I've been with him, out with him so many times. You know, I can see why he loves Sarasota, Florida. And, you know, uh, Damien and I, we just grabbed a seat at the bar and we both got, you know, our vodka in a, in a cup with an olive in it. And we had, <laughs> a, we had a drink for Gene and his wife Jeannie walked up to me and she goes, hey, how did you know? And I go... How did I know what? She goes, that was, you're in Gene's seat. He always sat there, you know, and just, just gave me, you know, just gave me goosebumps. And, you know, it was, it was emotional because, you know, him and I were so tight. I mean, we did so much together and we talked about everything. And like, um, one of the things he wanted to do was when he was going to be coming, you know, him and I were going to be doing WrestleMania together. And he was so excited to work with Cal, he wanted to teach Cal how to cut a promo. You know, I mean, who better to learn from yeah, than Gene? You yeah, know what I mean? The voice of your childhood, you know? Yeah. But I mean, and he loved Cal. I mean, he would, you know, he'd call to check on him. He'd always he'd send him messages. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen Cal loves George Michael, you know, and that's like his, that's, he loves to sing and dance in the car. So we're driving <laughs> to Chicago and Gene goes, hey, I want to do a video with Cal. I go, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know when he's singing in the car? I'm like, seriously? He's like, I'm like, perfect. I'm like, so we, we did the video. It's me with that disgust look. We pan over, and there's Gene dancing with Cal to George Michael in the car. And he, <laughs> he had so much fun doing it. And it's just like I'm sitting there. I'm like, that's my childhood, and he's having fun with my kid, you know? And it's like, you know, there, there, there's moments in your life when you question the decisions you make. Like, I did not get rich in the wrestling game. I'm probably financially in the same spot where I started, you know? And you wonder, was it worth it? Was it worth all the time, effort, money, and frustration? And then you have moments like that, and you're like, you know, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, that was that was pretty freaking cool, you know. So, uh, Gene, I mean, I, I miss him every day. There isn't a day that goes by when I don't think about him because, you know, uh, we we did talk often, and uh, we were in New York. Um, WrestleCon, I was supposed to have Gene Oakland and King Kong Bundy as my two guests at my table, and neither one was there. And I was reminded of that daily when I was out there because people knew how close I was with both those guys. I mean, um, when Bundy died, the family asked me to be the spokesperson, you know? So all of a sudden, now it's like, you know, how that worked out was I get a phone call from WWE, and they're like, hey, um, do you have Bundy's number? I'm like, sure. I go, what's up? And they go, well, uh, we heard something. I go, and I knew who was all going into the Hall of Fame, and I knew his name wasn't listed. I'm like, you guys going to put him in the Hall of Fame? I'm like, well, no. We heard he wasn't doing well. I'm like, you guys must have heard he died. I go, well, you should not call me if he's not doing well. Yeah. They're like, yeah, well, we kind of heard that, you know, uh, something happened. So I contacted his ex-wife, and she's like, yeah. She goes, um, he did. I go, well, WWE has been contacting me. They want to make a statement. And she goes, Dave, she goes, he loved you. You were one of his closest friends. She goes, if anyone should be making a statement, it should be you. And I'm like, God, what do I say? Yeah. You know, it's like, how do, you tell, how do you tell the world that an iconic pulp culture legend has died and do it in a way that is, is just as respectful as can be, you know? So I did it, and I put it out there, and it went so viral so fast. I mean, I was on CNN. Fox News, ABC, NBC, New York Times, every newspaper took my um, announcement and used it in all their articles, you know? And um, it's just like, it was so soon after Gene had died, and now I'm going through all this, and it just, ah, you know, it's just like, it just, it's just freaking crazy, you know? And we don't realize how fragile, you know, everyone is, and with Bundy, he had died on a Saturday. They didn't find his body until Monday, you know. Oh, wow. Jeez. And um, the 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 saddest part about that with Bundy is um, they found him on a Monday. He was supposed to meet his first grandchild that following Saturday. Oh, jeez. You know, so um, you know, it's it, it's just a shame because you know he was such a great human being. Also, I mean, he was the ultimate villain. He was, you know, as a kid, you were terrified of him. Yep. And, you know, him and I would talk and, and we'd, we'd be on the phone and he would he would just call the bitch just about whatever was going on in the world. <laughs> um, and he'd always ask about how my ex-wife was because she, he always thought she was hot. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I just don't know. And then he'd ask about Cal. And then also be like, you know, Dave, I got to feed the cats. I got to go and then hang up on him. So I knew he had cats. I had no idea he had nine cats until after he died. <laughs> Crazy oh. cat Bundy. Yeah, exactly. You know? So I just like, you know, just like, you know, so two wrestling icons and, you know, you never expect, you know, when I was that wrestling fan in sixth grade, when I really became a wrestling fan, I never in a million years thought I would be going to Gene Okerlund's funeral and being the spokesperson for King Kong Bundy. You know, I just thought you'd just be a fan and, and that's it. But you know, you get involved in, in everyone's lives, and it's just like, you know, it's amazing. I'm very flattered and, and, and so lucky. And, you know, my, my son has grown up in all of this, you know, and 
it's it's these, these are his uncles. I mean, he has so many uncles; it's insane. You know, I mean, <laughs> we were out in uh, New York. This is now, I think, it's his third or fourth WrestleMania that he's been to now, and more people are excited to see him than they are to talk to me nowadays because they've all watched him grow up and they see the man he's growing himself into. So it's, it's cool. Like when you see Tito Santana or Rikishi or Eric Bischoff, whoever pull him aside and say, so you want to get in this business? Well, here's what you need to know. I'm like kid PhD in pro wrestling. You know what I mean? And you're so far ahead of the curve. It's crazy. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, yeah. You know, and this has all just been this year, how crazy it's been, but I mean, I've been doing this now since really 97, so 22 years. I've, I've had nothing but a blast. I've had awesome opportunities, you know, and, and it just – I wouldn't trade any of it in for the world. No, that's that's phenomenal. And I think I just wanted to, to kind of touch on uh, what you alluded to was how, you know, with, with everybody using, I guess for lack of a better term, your words – when, you know, like Bundy passed away and, and that sort of thing. It's good that they heard it from somebody who was close to him and somebody who knew him and put it in the proper light rather than just the usual uh, boilerplate, you know, we our sympathies, whatever, we're sorry to announce, yada, yada. You know, they got to hear it from somebody who actually knew him. And I think that's important and that's and it's good that they used your words to get that out. So, I mean, I, I definitely think you can walk away from that as a, as a positive. An actual spokesperson yeah. that knew him instead of just, you know, this is a guy that's going to say our words for us and make it better and more articulate. It's like when I went to Gene Okerlund's funeral, Gene never went to that church. So the woman, <laughs> the woman, it, it was it was a female minister. She had never known Gene. And she's doing his eulogy. And I was like, this is disgusting. You know, it's yeah. like, Someone needs to talk about Gene. And thank God we had the party afterwards, you know, at, at the bar. It was like Greg Gagne was there, Jim Brunzel, Brian Nobbs, um, uh, Kevin Dunn was there. And what was really cool is, you know, Kevin Dunn, who's the main guy on Raw, he's the, he's yep. the main producer director, uh, him and Gene were really tight. And um, he walked up to me. He goes, you're David Hero. I go, yes. He goes, Shook my hand. He goes, thank you for taking care of my buddy, you know? And I was next to Dallas page when that happened. He's like, bro, he goes, that's like coming from Vince. He goes, that's big. You know? So I was flattered. I mean, I, I knew that um, Gene had talked about the stuff we had did often because whenever he wanted to do an appearance or if we're going to do some new merchandise, he'd always have to run it by Kevin Dunn out of respect because they've been friends for so long and everything else. But, um, it, it was cool, you know, at that moment that, hey, you know, that they know that I, I was always looking out for them. And I always did. And, 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 and so did Damien. I mean, we went everywhere with Gene. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I wish you guys could have had a drink with him because it would have been the best drink of your entire life because oh, he, made you feel, he would have made you feel like you were friends for 50 years. He was yeah. just that and he was just that smooth and that, and that cool. Yeah, some guys just have that ability where, you know, when you talk to them, they make you feel like you're the most important thing going on right now, you know? That's that's really incredible when people can do that. That's where I like hearing about, like, celebrities or athletes. Like, when you talk to them, they ask you about your life and just, like, what you do. I had a friend that met, you know, a celebrity, and that was how it went, where they didn't talk anything about his sport. They just talked about normal life. And he was like, dude, it was, like, one of the best things ever just because – 
we didn't talk shop. We just had fun just BSing the whole time. Yeah. Yep. So I guess um, as we kind of get close, how much time? Oh, we're we're so good. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to kind of ask, so what's kind of the next, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, the next steps you have going on, where's, you know, the blizzard brawl headed, uh, great lakes championship wrestling. Uh, what do you have kind of going on there? Well, I mean, for me, I was just going to be doing a couple of the summer shows that I've always been doing, you know, uh, bought shows where it's not my money really being invested in anything like that. <laughs> uh, Tommy dreamer and I, we still do the house of hardcore blizzard brawl show together. Um, I wasn't going to be doing a whole lot of more shows until Cal wanted to get involved. Okay. And I'm like, if he wants to do this, then I got to run shows because I don't trust most of these guys that do anything around here. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they don't put on good shows, but some indie wrestling is just absolutely terrible. You know what I mean? Yep. And at the end of the day, he's my he's my only kid. He's 16. He means the world to me. And I'm not going to put him in a situation where some guy doesn't know what he's doing and is going to dump him on his head. You know? And he shouldn't. Not, no, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying that it still can't happen working with someone that's been around forever, but yep. it's a big opportunity that it won't. Yeah. So, um, and he wants to do this, and it's like, okay, well, if you want to do this, then we're going to do it my way. Because a lot of the local indie guys will say, hey, um, what do I need to do to get to the next level? The first thing I always tell them is invest in yourself, your look, your gear, your body. Walk like a star, act like a star. Don't say stupid shit on, on, on social media because that will always come back to you, you know, and yep. it does. I yep. go, make sure your gear looks good. Make sure, you, you know, you look the part, get merchandise because that that's how you're going to supplement losing money on the indies is by trying to sell eight by tens and t-shirts. Yep. So, you know, Cal's in the gym. He has real gear, you know, um, he has eight by tens, you know, he has t-shirts that we do with collar and elbow. And, you know, when he shows up, you know, he looks like he, he should be in the wrestling ring. Yeah. You know, make sure he, you know, I mean, he's 16. He's not going to be a body guy, but I think he's built better than 80% of the guys on the indie scene right now, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, I was just having a conversation kind of in that similar vein with a guy uh, last week where, you know, it's like, you know, for, like I said, for, you know, for a guy like Cal, where it's like, okay, he's been around the best minds in the business, you know, realistically, once he gets a year or two underneath him, if he really wants to make a run at it, there's no point in him spending any more time in the Indies. You know, you think at that point, just go to Florida and get in the, the developmental and go from there, because I don't know if there's any real benefit to toiling around in the Indies more with the popularity of things like NXT and all the other uh, different feds that you could get hooked up with. I mean, I mean, I, I just look at guys like oh, a Samoa Joe and an AJ Styles. Oh, you lose us? Nope, he's there. Hello? You still there, Dave? Yep, yep. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, we'll pick it up. Uh, Dave can edit this out here. Nope. And... <laughs> So I look at a guy like whether it be a Samoa Joe or an AJ Styles where they're finally now getting their big run in WWE. They can really start to make their money. These guys are knocking on the door of 38 and 40 years old, you know, because it was a different time. I get that. But to spend so much time in the Indies, granted, I'm sure they made their money and things like that. But if you your end goal is to get to the to get to the big show, you know, why waste time? You know, 
Well, like for me, I post a lot of Cal stuff on, on, on mine and his social media and I do it so like my buddies can see it. So any given time, he'll get a phone call or text, of course, from Al, Al Snow, Shane Helms, Nash, Goldust, uh, Gunner. I mean, all those guys, they're like, hey, they will call me and say, I'm not talking to you. Pass the phone to Cal. And they will tell him either what he's doing right or what he's doing wrong. And a lot of the times, you know, he'll get mixed signals because some guy will say, do this. Some guys will say, don't do this. And then he's like, what do I do? I'm like, listen to both. See what makes the most sense to you. Yeah, I, go, I go, all these guys have drawn money doing this. They made a living out of it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, and here's what I told Cal. I said, you're already better than I ever was, you know. I said, so in two days, two weeks, two months, two years, you want to pull the plug on this? Pull the plug on it. I go, don't ever do this because you think that's what I want. Yeah. I go, do it because it's something you want to do. I go, I, I go, I don't need to live my life through you. I'm going, I'm going to watch you live yours. So, like, you know, in a perfect world, I'm sure when he's 18, he'll go down to OVW with Al, and Al will polish him up and give him everything else that he needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was at NXT last night. I've known Scotty Tuhati for 22 years. Yeah. He's one of the coaches. He's one of the coaches at NXT. Okay, I've known Matt Bloom for at least 16 years. He's the head coach at NXT. I know if Cal wants an opportunity, he will at least be given an opportunity to show them what he can do. Yep. But he also knows he has to keep his head on straight. He can't be doing drugs, and he can't knock anybody up because <laughs> if because yeah. He becomes a dad early. He has to be a dad. He can't be pro wrestler yep. because it doesn't work, you know? So, I mean, and again, he grew up in it and, you know, he has a lot of learning trees he's been sitting under and, you know, um, we were at WrestleCon and he was with Nash walking through uh, the show with him. And Nash was talking to Kelly, Kelly, um, Summer Ray. I want to say Candice Michelle and one or two other girls. And so Cal backed off out of the conversation because he felt he didn't need to be there. I'm not going to say which one of the girls it was, um, but it was one of the girls um, looked at Nash and she's like, hey, is this kid just following you around? (laughs) And and Nash turned around, grabbed Cal, pulled him in, put his arm around him. He goes, this is my nephew. He goes, He's been in the business for eight months. He's had three matches, and he's already better than I was three years in the business. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, he goes wherever I go. And she put her head down and just walked away. You know, <laughs> so it's like he's very well protected. Like the boys, they all look out for him. You know, and you know, and for him, it meant the world to me because I saw it from a distance, and it just made Cal feel like a million bucks. And Nash didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go to that extreme, you know, but, um, you know, he, he, you know, Cal knows that he has opportunities and he needs to keep his head on straight and, and just do good business going forward. Knowing Nash. Yeah. That it sounds like exactly what he would do. I, I, I wouldn't put it past him one bit doing that just to bury another talent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, when Nash was in town for, um, my, my last show, when Cal was in a tag match, and uh, Jay Bradley was in the ring. And I love Jay, but sometimes he goes off script and was 
he made a comment that, you know, Nash was just here for the payday, you know, and talk about Cal not paying his dues. Well, Nash decides to hop up into the ring and cut a promo. During the show, Andre Bradley, you know, oh, basically, say, basically saying tonight is not about me. Um, yeah, if you can beat up a 16-year-old kid, go right ahead. He goes, I'm not going to get involved. He goes, I know how tough this kid is. You can beat him up, bloody him up. He'll be back in camp the next week. He goes, but we all know the truth. He goes, in 10 years from now, he goes, you're going to go back and say, yeah, I wrestled Cal Hero when he was 16. He goes, you, you don't think this kid hasn't paid his dues? He goes, he was sitting in the back of his dad's car driving me around and everybody else around, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning, listening to us talk and tell stories. He goes, this kid has paid his dues. And uh, he was shooting, you know. And uh, when we were done, Jay goes to me, was he shooting on me? I'm like, yeah. I go, he's hot, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's cool to watch. I mean, you know, as, as you guys know, being a parent, there's nothing greater, you know, and, 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 and to watch your kids succeed and do things that you never thought they could do. Cal had no interest in doing this ever up until last summer when we were doing uh, shows down at Six Flags. And he saw how bad they were. And he goes, yeah. I can do it. I go, okay, you think you say you can. Show me that you can. So he goes to he goes down by Angel Armani, who is a tremendous teacher. I mean, oh, he's the oh, best. He Great. is. I mean, when it comes to psychology, there's nobody better. You know, uh, the, the hardest thing is to have him, you know, is to tell him to shut up once in a while. Because yeah. he'll keep talking. <laughs> You know what? I'm so happy you mentioned that because I saw a post the other day from you and it should be like a pinned post by you. And I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like someone can't, I can't believe it. A phone call lasted less than 20 minutes with Angel Armani. <laughs> and that's impossible. It was less than 10 seconds. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> and that never happens. Never, never. Never, never. Just so trying to like, leave the show, and he just kept on doing one-liner after one-liner. We wanted to just keep staying, but we had to go. Yeah. No. I mean, and he is, he's a he's a great coach. He, he knows what he's talking about. Like, and, and so, like, Nash has been to his camp. Al's been to his camp. Ken, they all say the same thing. He's a good coach, yeah. you know, because he's teaching them the right way. Like, you know, Cal's been training there since September. He still has yet to do a suplex, you know. Because he's learning all the basics and fundamentals right now. Yep, learning psychology, why you do something instead of, hey, I want to do uh, you know twelve hurricane ranas and six power bombs. Show me how to do moves. You know, I mean, you can you can teach somebody how to do moves in an afternoon. You know, that's not that's not impressive. You know, you're doing it. That's the thing. Yep. You know. Yep. That's the most important thing. Yeah. You got to teach a story. Yep. Exactly. And Andrew it's knows that from his six matches that he's had. <laughs> I always got to bury him. Well, I'm the only one to not do a Dave Hero show. <laughs> and there's a reason why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and it's, it is kind of funny where, you know, a, a guy like Jay Bradley would say something like that only because, you know, he's got to know that, I mean, once WWE started with NXT, the business was kind of like forever change. There was no more going through the territories, you know, paying your dues, working for 10 years, hoping to get a break. I mean, it's just different. They're looking for, they're looking for talent and entertainers and they're grabbing people, whether it be, you know, collegiate athletes, um, maybe people who are actors, you know, 
any kind of amateur, you know, like I said, amateur athletes, whatever it might be. It's just, it's just different now. And if you don't accept that, you're just trying to live in the past, I think. Well, did you, do you guys watch NXT? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, there's that rock and roll guy, Eric Budenheimer or Budenhuger yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I saw him for the first time a couple weeks ago. He's from Milwaukee, you know? Yeah. So last night I'm sitting next to his parents at the show. I'm like, you know, I go, I've never seen your kid on the Indies. They're like, oh, no, he never did the Indies. They're like, he was uh, a high school wrestler at Franklin, uh, state champion, went to Madison, uh, went to the Nationals, all that kind of stuff, All-American. He coached at Madison, and um, one of the guys there said, hey, you should try it for WWE, sent his stuff to NXT. They flew him down, flew him down twice, and they hired him. Yeah, you know. It's all it takes now. Was he on an indie show? You know, but he's fantastic. I mean, he has it. You know, yep. they just have to fine tune a few things, and he's going to be a huge star. But a lot of the talents that have come out of NXT, those guys never wanted to be pro wrestlers. They just didn't make it in their other fields. They're either former football players, power lifters, track, you know, um, fitness pageant models, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And I think the only you know, the only downside I think you might see there is because, because pro wrestling wasn't necessarily in their, in their heart, I guess. I don't think you're going to see the long careers like you did in the past. You know, I think you'll, you'll see them get in, maybe make a little bit of money. Maybe the grind will start to get to them. Maybe it won't, but you know, when you come in and that was never really your die hard goal in life, I think it's going to be a little bit shorter run than you might otherwise have, you know, but you know, I mean, that's fine. If if you just want to get in make your money for five years and then transition to something else, whether it be acting or stunt work or whatever. I mean, those opportunities are certainly there. You there? Oh yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might've been taking a drink of water or something. We can't see. Dramatic pause. No, <laughs> no, and the thing is, right now, I mean, if you, if you look, they have, they have a four-year, $1 billion deal with Fox. Those guys are going to get a brand-new audience to see them. So yeah. a whole lot of other doors are going to open up. I mean, you know, of course, there's, you know, there's once-in-a-lifetime talent, talents like Rock and Cena that can transition to Hollywood. But there's going to be others, you know, especially some of the girls now. I mean, there's such an emphasis on the women. It's only a matter of time before one of them take off and you know, uh, do the crossover as well. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I can't believe you left out Wade Barrett. I mean, I watched uh, his movie the other day on Amazon. I was I was thoroughly impressed. The guy was definitely uh, definitely had a, was, a shot. He was my favorite in in, in, in the first NXT. I mean, yep. any other era, he would have been a huge star. It's just he got stuck in the machine, you know, in the John Cena yeah. machine. Yeah. Well, and how many guys came up with poor timing? I mean, how many, you know, big guys from, you know, from the indie scene here in the Midwest where any other era, you're like, oh my God, five of those guys would be on the main roster tomorrow. But you know, it's an issue of timing. We talked about uh, that with Ken Anderson a little bit. If you want to go back and listen to our other podcast, ladies and gentlemen, as you should, Ken is always, Ken is one of the smartest guys I've ever been around because he can talk about any subject. Yeah. Yeah. So with the, you kind of mentioned we're talking about the whole NXT and all that, Dave. Uh, with there's AEWs on the horizon now. So what are your thoughts now with 
now that you see WWE with Fox, AEW is coming into play now. Like, what what do you see a forecast of? Because I don't think it's going to be another WCW, but I I'm just kind of curious to see how it is going to how they're going to flow. What's your thoughts on that? The most important thing AEW has to do, um, besides have really good talent, which they're already working on that. I mean, they have they have the most popular guys in the internet world of wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. But if they have the same production value as TNA, they're going to absolutely suck because TNA had Hulk Hogan. They had Ric Flair. They had Kurt Angle. They They had everybody, but the guy that ran their truck didn't have a clue how to do TV. So their TV came across looking like crap because it missed a lot of important things. So, AEW, if they're going to be successful on television, they need to have somebody, it doesn't have to be Kevin Dunn, but a really close second. Because if you have more money than Vince McMahon, which they do with, you know, Tony Khan, you better make sure you have the right production people in place. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how many five-star matches you have. If it doesn't come across that way on TV, you're doomed. Yep. No, that's what I was just telling these guys about because I was using that very uh, very same example you said with TNA. I'm like, if you go back and look at TNA's roster, they had a ridiculous number of Hall of Famers, superstars, guys who were could go for you know an hour and have a five-star match easy, and it just didn't work. And exactly what you said, if it doesn't come across on TV, it's not going to play out. And I think they'll probably be smart about it. You'd think a guy with that much money is going to do his homework and be like, all right, what do we have to do to get this product to come across in today's day as being top notch? And, you know, hopefully they do. I hope it works out for them. You know, there's nothing wrong with wrestlers making money. So I'm I'm all for those guys working out. I just remember watching... I just remember watching TNA and seeing like their production value was like lower than NXT. That was like a developmental, ter- you know, kind of thing, and like they were worse than <laughs> than that. It's just interesting when you have the boys in the office how that's going to play out, you know? Because when you have Cody and the Bucks and and I don't know who else is, they're all executive vice presidents. It's like, how do you not push the guys that are calling the shots? You know, yeah, it's like. That- that is a big concern I have and that you don't have that one all-powerful overseeing king in Vince McMahon who has the final say. I mean, that is going to be that is going to be a challenge. And then of course, you know, it, it's one thing that's a lot of building when you run it one show a year. You have to be able to sustain. And I'm sure they will be able to because I'm sure with the money they they own an NFL football team, so they know how to how to market properly. You know, they know how to promote the right way. But you know, it's just you need to keep your TV strong so people want to come out to your live events. Yeah. So speaking of, because uh, Jim Ross is uh, going to be coming to one of your shows, do you think uh, he will actually, you know, guide these guys in the right direction? I'm sure he is going to be a very important piece of the puzzle. I think they will definitely bounce ideas off of him and look for him, you know, for advice. I mean, because, you know, he was one of the main cogs in the best time of all of wrestling. You know, he was the, he was in charge of talent relations for WWE when they had the rock and Austin and mankind and DX and he signed punk and he signed Randy Orton and John Cena and all those guys. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's no doubt that they're going to lean on him heavily 
and he he's he's brilliant. I mean, I've been around Jim a bunch of times, and that's why I'm bringing him in on May 18th. It's like if you wanna if you wanna get ahead in the business, you need to go to listen to what Jim Ross has to say because he's seen it all. Yeah, I thought and this is just my two cents, but uh, I thought it was a big mistake for WWE to let Jim Ross out of that contract. Now, maybe he asked for it, maybe not. I'm not too sure on the details of that. Really, don't care too much. But I still think it was a big a big loss for WWE to let him go uh, to AEW because I I'm just like you. I think the dude is just a wealth of knowledge, and if anybody can have two minutes with him just to pick his brain, they should. I agree. With, with Jim, I mean, Jim does what Jim wants to do. And, you know, they didn't like the fact he was still doing New Japan stuff and he was you know, doing his uh, Q&As and everything else. And they just figured, hey, just go do your thing. You know, WWE has always been able to keep going forward with losing top guys. I mean, if you think about it, they Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, The Rock, CM Punk, now John Cena. They've all come and gone, and they're still going forward. There's always somebody else to fill that cog, you know. And and right now, I mean, if you look at all the announcers and commentators they have, it's insane. They have a ton. <laughs> none of them are Jim Ross, you know, and none of them ever will be. No. But they're. But now, when, when you when you watch the shows. They're not telling stories anymore. They're promoting their social media. They're promoting the upcoming pay-per-view. Everything else but what's going on in the ring. So Jim Ross is not needed anymore in in that capacity. Well, we are sitting next to an honorary member of uh, the coal miners with uh, Mason Quinn. (laughs) Yeah, I thought the coal miner gimmick was getting great heat. That's just me, though. (laughs) I lost you guys. Oh, Dave, trust us. No, that's fine. You didn't miss that. They were talking about how Quinn was a coal miner, so you coal didn't miner. coal miner. You didn't miss much. Why, okay. Why is Dave going through puberty here on air? I'm trying something different today. So, Dave, I just we were always trying to figure out. Um, we were all at a what was it SmackDown uh, last March? Yeah, that was for your first bachelor party. For the first bachelor party, and good one. You were sitting front row, and we all met up after the show because Quinn had about 14 gallons of beer, and, you know, he was chanting Purple Ropes, HBK. Oh, sure. Put it all on me. You guys took no part. I took absolute part in that. Shush. And so now we meet up with you after the show, and you were telling us that one of the announcers was, like, getting had heat with us. We couldn't get the story together. So could you you put the pieces together for us? kept chanting everything in the back. And he made the come. He's like, ah, oh, he goes, they've got to be from Oshkosh, right? And I go, why Oshkosh? He goes, well, don't all the drunks live in Oshkosh? You know? And I thought it was funny, you know? But, yeah, it, it, was, it was hilarious, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, I just that with you, Now, with your – you've been around, as you said, 20-some-odd years. What are some of the great ribs stories that you can share with us or some of your favorite stories in general? You know, what can you share with us? Because I find those stories always great. One of the best ribs, one of them was, was done to me. It was by Nash. So we're driving up to do a show in Green Bay. I think it was for Mike Mercury, you know, oh. uh, when, it, oh, when was, he brought Nash in. Oh, was this in 2008? <sighs> Probably. I think so. 
because I drove Nash up for, uh, for the, and it was the first time Nash and I had ever traveled together doing shows on the road and everything. Okay. So he had come in for me and then he was going up by you guys, I, I think, um, the next day. So we're up there and I'm nervous because I've always heard the horror stories of Kevin Nash, you know, how much of a, how much of an ass he can be, how he's difficult. So he would change the, the channel on the radio. And every time he would do it, he would change the, you know, the channel. He would slightly rub my leg, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's just weird, you know? We did it like three or four times, you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's no longer an accident. And he it's would just, just make... a half-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, and he would just make gay jokes and comments. I'm thinking... Oh my God! I go. This can't be happening. You know, this is big, sexy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he's on the phone talking. God, it was with somebody with TNA. It was their PR guy, and he goes, he goes, I gotta get off this call. He goes, I gotta give Dave a blowjob. You know, and I was like, what the hell? And he just looked at me like, and I was again. I'm terrified because I don't know him well enough to know if he's kidding or not, you know? So needless to say, finally, you know, we're up in Green Bay. We spend the night. I'm sleeping with one eye open because I don't know what the hell is going on anymore, you know? Drive back the next day, and, you know, of course, he's telling me how, he, how Scott Hall had done that to him on their first road trip together, you know? He goes, except he pulled over and told Scott, if he does it again, he's going to beat his ass. And Scott's like, oh, no, brother, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So it got to be to the point when, after that, every time Nash and I would go out, we'd always try to outdo each other in public, you know? So we're out for dinner. We're in Chicago. It's And he loves good wine and good steak. So we go to this, like, five-star restaurant, and we're sitting there. And uh, she's like, oh, she goes, um, are you together, like, for the bill? And he's like, yeah, he goes, but he's a really selfish lover. He goes, I, you know, I'm going to have to wind up paying for this. And she looked at us like, because we're two huge guys. Now, he's way big. He's way taller than me. Like, I feel like a kid next to him. And she didn't know what to say. I'm like, yeah, I go, you wouldn't believe it. I go, he doesn't kiss like he's gay, though, you know? So now, and of course, it popped him when she when she left, you know? So she doesn't know what to think. And we would just do that stuff back and forth to each other all the time. So, like, you know, for me, um, my relationships have been nothing short of natural disasters since my divorce, you know. So it's always somebody new, like, every six months or a year or whatever it is. And we always do the same thing. Like, Nash will always say, hey, you know, I hope it, I hope it works out better for you. I, I think he's a selfish lover, you know. And then he goes, you know, he's not a good kisser. I'm like, you just say that because I don't kiss like I'm gay. And, of course, the girl I'm with now doesn't know if it's true or not, you know? <laughs> it, it, and it's like, you know, it, it, it's just it's just funny stuff. So it's actually grown to, like, even now with, like, Ken Anderson and Al. And it's just, like, the whole group of us now. We just try to out make everyone else feel uncomfortable around us. But, um, but like, with Gene Okerlund, uh, him and I were – driving somewhere in Milwaukee, going to an appearance. And you would never expect this. We're, we're driving, and all of a sudden, it'd be like somebody walking along the street. Gene would roll down his window and yell, hey, blow it out your ass. And it's like, 
Right. You know, it's like you, you don't expect that out of, you know, a 70-year-old man, you know? Yeah. And look back and they will be like, well, he didn't say that, did he? You know, it just, yeah. Just the person, the person that he's saying that to has to recognize that voice. It's got to be one of the most recognizable voices there is. You guys got to be like, is that Gene Okerlund telling me to blow it out my ass? <laughs> it's just amazing, you know. And then of course, Al and I—I I mean, we're always doing stuff to, to each other. Um, it just—I it, mean, it, it's just so much fun because you know, it's just—we're just grown children, you know. I mean, we are—we're we're just little kids still. And, uh, you know, we're just always messing around with somebody and making somebody uncomfortable. Uh, like Al Snow and I, what we do, normally when, when we're talking on the phone, we have headsets on, you know. So if you walk into a store, you don't know if you're talking to the person or somebody on the phone sometimes. So I'm sure you guys have all seen the TV show on Practical Jokers, right? Yeah. So Al walks into the pharmacy because he has to get uh, – prescription pills for his wife who just had back surgery and he realized i'm still on the phone as he walks up to order to get the meds so what happened so the deal is we have is that if we're in that position we have to repeat what the other person says in their ear you know (laughs) so he's picking up like i don't know if it was percocets or oxys or whatever it is and you know i can hear that and i go ask her if they work better if you just crush them up and snort them or she- <laughs> so of course you know has to ask that question and you can just hear the terror in the pharmacist's voice um we wouldn't recommend you crunching them up and snorting them you know you're better off just taking them whole and then, of course, he goes, asshole, you do realize I live in this town. I'm on TV with OBW, and they're going to think I'm not a drug addict, you know? So <laughs> it's just stupid, funny stuff like that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, awesome. that's pretty much So we, we do a segment on here, Dave, uh, Pet Peeves, and everyone's got them. And uh, so what are some of Dave Hero's pet peeves? It could be, obviously, in wrestling, just in general life. Uh, the one thing I hate the most is when someone sends me a text back with the letter K. It's like, just say okay, don't say fi- or say fine, don't say K, because it just even though I know you're not being a dick or a prick, that's just how it comes across to me, and it frustrates me no, no end. It's like, if I'm going to give you my time and, re- and reply back to you and explain something, don't give me one letter back. It drives me freaking nuts. You know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, was putting that O on there just going to kill you? It was just too much, you know? I'm yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, you know? And yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, that's really it. Or um, when, when it comes to indie wrestling, when I watch a match and you basically have to put a bullet in somebody's head to beat them, that drives me nuts. <laughs> oh, so I'm glad you mentioned that, Dave, uh, because – I am not a fan of uh, today's. This, is, this has actually become our, our second segment on the show, which is uh, Diamond Dave's hatred of the overuse of super kicks. And asking our guests. And so, Dave, you've seen me come up to you more than a couple times and saying, hey, what's your thoughts on this if I do this? Or what's your thoughts? Here's our plan. What would you do? And so what's your thoughts on the 42 super kicks and 52 knees that you see in a match now? I think that Shawn Michaels is the greatest super kicker of all time because he just needs one to beat somebody. Um, Thank you. I, I just, yeah, I just, 
I mean, I get it. Like, I love Alistair Black. You know, I think he's a tremendous talent. Um, and, and, and I can say that because um, I spent time with him. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys saw I did the wedding for him and uh, Thea Trinidad. I was their minister for their wedding. So him and I talked quite a bit, and I got to, I got to understand his mind. And he's a legit trained shoot fighter, you know, so his move means something. But I was watching one of the, I think it had to be, it had to be NXT because I very seldom watch Ring of Honor. And I saw one match, there was like 15 knees to the head. I'm like, uncle, how do you not knock <laughs> It's like, you're just, if, if, if guys were more concerned about protecting their finish than their theme music, it would be such a much better place right now, you know? I totally agree. And I get it. There's going to be a, a, you know, there's really no wrong answer in, in the wrestling world yeah. with that. But there's an evolution. There's an evolution of athletes and moves and whatever. I get it. You know, a suplex you know, isn't a finisher anymore. But you you're striking head. a guy square in the head six times with your knee. I mean, where's the realism? Especially with the, you know, prevalence of the UFC where you see a guy get knocked out like with one punch and then you see Roman Reigns uses a Superman punch as a prelude to a spear. It's like, no, that Superman punch, you'd be dead. And he's done it, what, ten times in the match? He's done ten yeah. Superman. <laughs> it's not special. It's not special anymore, you know? Um, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I remember the first time someone kicked out of a finisher. You were like, oh, my God, that's never happened. Now, like, Brock Lesnar's F5 means nothing, you know. When you give Seth Rollins five or six and a guy that should be on 205 Live can stand up after it, there's no yep. way. It shouldn't no, and I Yeah, and they've really painted themselves in a corner with it because you're like, okay, now what do you do? I mean – it, it, it's almost as if now, again, this might be a little bit of inside baseball here, but to me, it's almost like the entire match is just a finish. You know, you start out, you do something for two seconds, and then it's just trading finishers back and forth, ducks, misses, whatever. And it's like, where did the story go, fellas? I mean, now, granted, I'm not going to sit here who I am and say that guys who are getting a paycheck from Vince McMahon are doing it wrong, but... I'm not getting a story out of it. You know, I'm not going to criticize their athletic ability or their talent or certainly their memories, but I, I don't see a story, you know? And here's what you have to ask yourself when you have that question in your head. Um, you guys saw Lacey Evans, right? When she like hit the woman's right on Becky Lynch, you know, did you, did you ever think she would do that? Lacey Evans, she walks down to the ring like a Southern bell. You didn't think she could actually throw a punch and hurt somebody, did you? You know, at yep. least I did. So when she did it and she's fighting and she's slipping on her heels, I'm like, that's freaking cool. That yep. was awesome because I didn't think that. And I was talking about it with Shane Helms last week. He goes, I go, right now my favorite character is Lacey Evans because I didn't think she could do what she does. I go, mm -hmm. she's a special talent. He goes, yeah, but she's the heel. And it's just like... I think the coolest chick is the heel. That's yeah, not that's... what I mean. Yep. So, and, and, and that's a problem, you know? Well, so... and again, and that's, oh, sorry. But that, again, that's how they kind of paint themselves into a corner where like, you know, say for a, a while back you had Batista when he was a heel, he would just completely murder everybody and never bump. Then they turn him into a baby face and he's 
flat back and popcorn bumping all over the ring as as a baby face. It's like, no, I want the ass kicker back, you know? And, 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 and like with Becky Lynch, when Becky Lynch first got called up, and it was her, Charlotte, Sasha, and Bailey. I think it was the four of them. I said, Becky Lynch had the most natural fire and charisma. I said, she's going to be a star. And it took her longer to get there, you know? But now when I see Becky Lynch, I'm like, why is she still angry? I mean, she has both belts. It's like, chill out, enjoy it. I go, you can't sustain always being this angry chick. Yeah. Because right now, you're coming more across as a heel than a babyface. Yep. No, I'm, I'm totally with you in that it's, uh, again, I think I, you know, and I don't know if it's a question of, you know, writing or storylines. We kind of have a, I guess an unwritten rule here on the show where I don't try to, or we don't try to do inside baseball on what's going on with writers and angles and storylines and that sort of thing. I just merely react to it with what you're presenting me. And, and like you said, I, you can't be angry all the time when you've got both belts. Um, you, I have a hard time seeing a guy who goes from being an ass kicker when he's a bad guy to getting his ass kicked when he's a good guy, you know, and it's, it, it can be very frustrating or guys who, you know, have unlimited talent and they're just kind of floating around doing nothing. Now, granted that can be an issue of, you know, time on a show, you know, character development, whatever. But I, yeah, there, there is a lot of things that frustrate me, uh, with it as I'm sure with others, but I, I don't think it's a problem really of talent because they've got more talented individuals now than I think they've ever had. Oh, with there's, there's never been a more athletic group of talent ever in the wrestling business. All you got to do is watch back the very first survivor series, 88, watch the main event. They were beating guys with clotheslines and power slams. You know what I mean? And it was Butch Reed, Ken Patera, one man gang, Bundy, Andre, Don Morocco and Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow. <clears throat> no one did a flip in that. No, how could that ring support it? That, yeah. but I mean, if, if you go back and watch some of that stuff from you know from from the mid to late eighties, you know, guys were beating each other with you know, Junkyard Dog ha ha had the power slam. Jake Roberts had a DDT, which is now a transition move. You know, Macho Man held the elbow off the top. Tito Santana with a flying forearm. That you know, right now it's crazy when someone can kick out of five F fives. But Bailey can beat somebody with her suplex, her belly to belly. Yeah. Makes no sense. Yep. Well, and then, and then in that same thing, how do you give a guy, you know, five F5s and then he kicks out and does, you know, the three curb stomps to you to get the win when the week before I just saw you lose to, you know, whatever, a shining wizard or something from Shinsuke or whatever it might be. You know, it's, it's consistency. And I, and I get big match buildup and that sort of thing, but I don't know. I guess we could all have our gripes on it, you know, f forever. But, no, I totally see where you're coming from. They, they still had 85,000 people in that stadium for nine and a half hours, oh. you know. Oh, there was something to do the whole time, though, wasn't there? Uh, they all had phones. That, there was USB ports in every seat, right, so they could charge it back up after they depleted the battery. <laughs> Man, that was rough. That was rough. <laughs> so, Dave, as we wrap up here, uh, can you tell everybody where we can find you at and uh, your upcoming events? Well, uh, all my stuff is listed on the website, blizzardbrawl.com. It has events uh, for May 18th with Jim Ross. Uh, June 8th is Crusher Fest. Uh, we have some summer shows with Gangrel. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, um, the first weekend in December is the Blizzard Brawl event out of the Waukesha Expo. We have other things coming up in between. Otherwise, on Twitter, at David Hero with two R's. And uh, Instagram is the David Hero because someone took David Hero on Instagram. I don't know why they want to be me. So, um, yeah, perfect. You know, so that's what we're doing. Sweet. Well, Dave, I, we want you back on the show because we honestly could go another hour with you because we have so much still on the board. But uh, we know your time's precious and whatnot. Uh, just like what Kona would always say, we merely scratched the surface on David Hero. As you are the third Dave we've had on the show besides the host. <laughs> third time. One of the hosts. Though. One of the hosts. He's not the host. Yeah. I'd love to come back on. I mean, you know, uh, doing the pro wrestling pro with Damien was one of the was one of the most fun times I had. Just grown men talking about other grown men fake fighting, you know, in their underwear. <laughs> yeah, see, we, didn't even, we didn't even get into that either. So, we, like I said, we got tons more to talk with you about. And, ladies um, and gentlemen, that's Dave Hero. This is the Bad Medicine Podcast. We are out. Bye.